0: Welcome to Experience This where you'll find inspiring examples
1: of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make
0: your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert
1: Dan Gingis serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So
0: hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this.
1: Get ready for another
0: episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss how boring legal disclosure can be fun, how watching movies on an airplane makes the time go by, and how kids will grow up differently with AI. Legalese, movies,
1: and saying please, oh my. Just because you have required elements of your business doesn't mean they need to be boring. It's time to get creative, have some fun, and make people sit up and take notice. Get your customers talking when you make the required remarkable.
0: Now, Joey, if I recall correctly, you used to be a lawyer.
1: Uh, Yes, I did. I like to refer to myself now, Dan, as a recovering attorney. The first step is admitting you have a problem, and after that, it gets much easier. So don't practice anymore, but yes, indeed, that is
0: true. All right, well, as a marketer, I, I kind of like lawyers.
1: I, I, I sense dripping sarcasm in that comment.
0: Well, I like them until they make me write these disclaimers and disclosures and all the stuff that's written in legalese that I don't understand and I'm pretty sure my customers don't understand.
1: Oh, so you like them until they start doing their job. And then it gets annoying. Kind of. I get it. I get it. No, I trust me, I understand. And, you know, at the risk of outing some of my lawyer friends, they often don't understand the language, the legalese they write in either. So it's, you know, we're all in this together.
0: So what can we do?
1: Well, you know, I think at the end of the day, there is an option of making legalese interesting. And I saw this recently in one of those uh, corporate email disclosures. You know, like if you're part of a larger corporation and you send an email, lots of times at the bottom of the email, there's this legalese disclosure that says, hey, if this wasn't intended for you, don't share it with anybody else. And this is a legal document and you're not supposed to spread it around, et cetera, et cetera, that kind of thing. Um, But I found one the other day that was really interesting. It came from Malaysian video on demand service, iFlex. Now, don't ask me why I know about Malaysian video on demand services, but iFlix's was pretty cool. It starts out and it says, covering our Butts.
0: Well, whoa, 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 hold on a second. We promised the sponsor I, there would be I, no butts. I know,
1: I know. I'm sorry uh, for the improper language, but I am reading a direct quote, so it doesn't really count as me swearing. Uh,
0: it says, "Covering sounds our like a, butts." Sounds like a lawyer's explanation.
1: It, that is a lawyer's explanation. It's it's really more of an implication or an explanation for my uh, for my family. Sorry that I'm swearing on the podcast. But after that intro, I won't say it again because you heard it the first time. Uh, it says. We know this email message and any accompanying attachments are full of fun and intriguing stuff, but they may contain information that is confidential and is subject to legal privilege. In other words, we could tell you, but then we'd have to kill you. Just kidding. And then it goes on for, you know, another paragraph or two all about, you know, what you're supposed to do. And I mean, they use the word disseminate and then they define the word disseminate, which I thought was pretty hysterical. And, you know, it's just a really fun and engaging way to make a required legal document something
0: much more interesting. For the record, Your Honor, counsel thinks that the word disseminate is hysterical.
1: Uh, yeah, but disseminate when they say disseminate parentheses, it means spread as if they have to de- define it. I, I just think it's great because, you know, as we've talked about on this show before, sometimes when, you know, lawyers get involved or when companies get involved, they write things in confusing fashion that their customers don't understand. And at the end of the day, if your customer can't understand it, why did you write it that way?
0: Well, yeah, I think this is a really great example, and to me as a consumer, it actually changes my behavior because normally when I see disclosure, I look the other way. But when I see covering my covering our butts, I want to read it.
1: Yeah. I mean, just the language they use, it's so more compelling. It's so much more engaging. And I have to believe, you know, it would be interesting to find out how many people actually listened to or read this disclaimer because they were intrigued by the opening lines.
0: And that's what I think is the coolest part, because if you ask, well, why did the lawyers want this in the first place? It's because they wanted to inform somebody of the fact that this might be confidential, et cetera. And they wanted people to read the disclosure. But, of course, you and I both know nobody reads disclosures. So if by making it fun and by starting it off with covering our butts, I've now said it twice. He
1: just wants to say it so many times in the episode. Folks, I'm sorry for those of you listening with children. But that's okay. No, I mean, I totally agree with you, Dan. I think it's one of those things where at the end of the day, the goal is to have the disclaimer be read. The goal is to have the disclaimer be noticed. And, you know, not to get too legal here, there's an interesting principle of the law that says if you write something that you know no one's going to read and they're not going to be able to understand, the courts actually hold that against you. Right? This is like a really random provision of the law that most people don't understand. But if you write something that's engaging and it's interesting and it's compelling and it's funny and maybe a little cheeky, you know, and for a video on demand service, you know, cheeky works. Like we've, we've talked about making sure your brand voice aligns with your overall brand image. This is a perfect example of how you can have fun with something that's required.
0: So the next time you have to have some legal disclosure, go talk to your lawyer, sit them down, they're real people too, and tell them that you want to make the required remarkable. You want to make it memorable. You want people to actually read the disclosure, and you have some great ideas on how to do that.
1: And that's one to grow on, kids. Yes, you heard Dan Gingas say, lawyers are real people too. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? So I had the opportunity to, yes, you guessed it, be on an airline again last week, flying Delta, and had... A fantastic experience because I got on the plane and was a little bit bummed out that it was not one of the newer planes. So it didn't have the screens on the back of the seats, which I know, Dan, you particularly love. And while I could have been bummed out, because I was flying Delta, I knew that I was still okay because Delta rolled out not too long ago, Delta Studio. Dan, have you experienced Delta Studio by chance?
0: I have not, but I have experienced a similar feature on another airline oh, on another competitor. Not as cool
1: as Delta's, I'm sure. But the cool thing about Delta Studio, if you haven't experienced it, is if you download the GoGo InFlight app prior to getting on the plane, you have the opportunity to access all of the on-demand movies, TV shows, games, documentaries, listen to music, etc. Everything that you could do on an in-seat entertainment system, you can do on your iPad, your iPhone, you know, whatever brand uh, device you're carrying in your pocket, you can watch these things using the app. So it's pretty sweet that they allow you to have the great experience of in-the-air entertainment, regardless of where you're seated in the cabin and regardless of how new the plane is and whether it has all the fancy technology upgrades.
0: And I think this is a really great addition because... It is a lot less expensive. It has to be a lot less expensive for the airline because they don't have to build all this equipment, which invariably gets out of date. Because today we're watching video on certain systems, and tomorrow it's going to be something totally different. So the ability to do it in the it, literally in the cloud, uh, in, and also in the clouds. Oh, I, I see what you did there, yeah, Dan. Thank you, thank so, you, uh, ladies and gentlemen. He's here all week.
1: Actually, no, we're just the show's only once a week, so it's once a week. But, but we'll okay. be back
0: next week. So that's <laughs> we'll be here. back next week. Uh, But I think it is a very seamless execution and a a great way to handle the problem. I do think that airlines are going to figure out pretty soon that they can charge money for this or charge more money for this, and that may lessen the experience uh, because I think then you'll be – then the question will be, well, am I willing to pay – nine ten fifteen dollars on the flight to be able to watch movies and probably lots of people are but certainly when a lot of these have been introduced they've been introduced as complimentary and i do think that's a that definitely adds to the experience
1: you know, Dan, I, I definitely agree with you that it totally adds to the experience. I'm not as sure that they're going to start charging for this. And here's why. They used to charge for the movies, right? If you wanted to watch a movie, you had to swipe, at least on Delta. If you wanted to watch the movie, you had to swipe a credit card or put in your information, um, you know, or they'd make you pay for the headsets. Delta at least has decided, I think, to just give out the headsets for free, on at least on the flights I've been on lately, as well as give you the access to Delta Studio. And what I think they might have actually realized is the small amount of money they could make by charging people to watch the videos or to watch a movie while they were in flight paled in comparison to having all of their passengers plugged in and happy. And I think the thing I've noticed the most is the flight attendants don't I mean, don't get me wrong, they still do a ton of work. This is not a criticism of the amazing flight attendants that take care of us when we're in the air. But it seems like the passengers are almost happier. It's like the passengers are watching a movie, they're kind of zoned out. They're probably not as antsy. And I would have to imagine that overall, the blood pressure level on the plane has gone down when everyone's tuned in to watching a movie or a TV show could be wrong, but that's my gut instinct.
0: No, I think that's probably right. I mean, that is what a lot of people want to do on the plane. And so the fact that they can do it, and as long as the Wi-Fi is good, that, you know, they can watch whatever they want. It it really serves the same purpose as the TVs in the back of the seat, right? It's just less clunky technology that goes out of date. And so it's a great solution.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you don't have to worry if the person in front of you puts their seat really far back that you have to like slump lower in your seat to be able to see the TV screen. Now you can just kind of see it on your phone. I also think that the cool thing about being able to watch it on your phone or your iPad and not on a fixed screen is it gives, how shall I say, a little more discretion uh, for when you're flying. For example, I was recently on a flight with my entire family, and I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And I wanted – they were asleep, and I wanted to watch kind of an action film that I knew had a little more violence in it that I would want my boys to be watching. And I have to admit I was a little hesitant to watch it on the screen for fear of that they might wake up and see and – you know, then I'm in a big conversation there. Maybe that's a bigger conversation that I shouldn't be watching those type of movies, but everybody was asleep. It was a long flight. It made it a lot easier to just be able to pull out my phone and watch it on my phone because then I'm in control of the angle of the screen.
0: You sure you weren't trying to watch Fifty Shades Darker or something? No, like that no, no, that no! Violence?
1: Unbelievable! Unbelievable! No, I was—I was full disclosure. I was actually trying to watch John Wick, if you've seen the Keanu Reeves movie, uh, which is uh, a little—a little heavy on the violence. So yeah, I was like, oh, I have heard about this movie. Some people said they enjoyed it. Maybe I'll watch it um, because that's also, at least for me, flying on airplanes is where I watch movies to pass the time. I really don't go out watching movies that I really want to see if there's a movie that i'm super excited about seeing i'll go to the theater but that's another thing that i like about delta studio is that you have this opportunity to pass the time and maybe watch some movies that you wouldn't otherwise get exposed to uh documentaries ted talks a number of things that uh you can use to be entertained while you're in the air and it's kind of like they're doing the curating for you or at least providing suggestions for you which is nice
0: So we always talk about how the experience that customers have with the brand is really encompassed by every single interaction. And on an airplane, you're sitting there for a long time. And so it is in the best interest of the airline to make that part of the experience more enjoyable. And so to do that and to do that without charging customers is a fantastic addition, and it gets people talking. Not just Joey and Dan; it gets real customers talking about uh, their experience on the plane and and how much more enjoyable it was. So, as one of the takeaways, I think it's important that that you know the airlines today are not charging for this because it. it, it yes, it could make them some money. It's probably not a gigantic money maker, and what they make back in happy customers is far is worth far more than the the dollar amount. I totally agree with you, Dan. And I'll say another
1: takeaway for me was the thing that I'm buying when I buy a plane ticket is to be able to be put into an aluminum can basically thrown through the air at hundreds of miles an hour and go from one side of the country to the other in a much shorter time than it would take driving or on a train or on a boat or any other form of transportation. Delta, their experience, though, is not just the act of getting me from point A to point B, my goal of buying the ticket, but their experience includes every interaction I have during the time that I'm under their care with them. And that's why I love this idea of giving your customers a great experience to keep them occupied when you're delivering on the other experience. That makes your employee's job easier. It makes the overall experience better, definitely something that every business could look at. What is the kind of hold time or the waiting time while the experience is being delivered? And what are you doing to make that experience interesting and exciting and different and remarkable? There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to.
0: And so, this week's article is called Growing Up with Alexa, and it is by the MIT Technology Review, and specifically by Rachel Metz. And it asks the question what will it do to kids to have digital butlers that they can boss around? and Rachel in this article talks about her niece Hannah who is 4 years old and a, already really good at using Alexa to play her favorite songs and uh, ask questions to etc and the question really is is whether these types of digital assistants are going to make kids potentially lazy because they don't have to get up off the couch. They can just ask it to ask it questions, ask it to play music, ask it to buy things, etc. Um, or also it, one other potential that it hypothesizes is: can it actually <laughs> turn your kids into jerks because they just get used to ordering a robot around? And so I thought it was really interesting to think about the childhood impact and the fact that you know our. Our kids are growing up with this technology that, you know, we didn't grow up with. And, and this kind of a technology that didn't exist just a few years ago is totally commonplace to them. And so we really don't know what it's going to do to them long term, but it is really interesting to hypothesize. Now, I know, Joey, Alexa is huge in your house, as we talked about before, but what did you think?
1: I I absolutely love this article because it got to a key issue that my wife and I talk about all the time, which is – teaching our boys to be polite when interacting with AI. I mean, I think as parents, we hopefully are all trying to teach our children to be polite when they interact with other humans, to say please, to say thank you. And we've really tried to transfer that over to the interactions with Alexa as well. And what's interesting about the the research that they talk about in the article is they actually found that with little kids, this is a pretty common thing. Kids approach the AI as if it's a person you know they are having those conversations where they're exploring and they're inquisitive. I think the uh, technical word is anthropomorphizing the technology right they treat it like uh, an actual human being but the what they also found in the research is that adults are not good at this that adults maybe because of tweeting they hypothesize or other bad behaviors around using technology it 's a lot more clipped and direct and as a result the doesn't have that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling of the interaction. And I I think it's Important to do this because as the AI technology evolves, what we're going to actually have is AI that is able to uh, interpret tone and nuance. And, you know, we're not there yet, but I definitely think that's where the technology is going. And the article uh, has a tendency to agree. And I think as tone and intention and nuance become part of the AI, if you're kind of barking at the AI, I could see a scenario where the AI says, hey, I'm not going to answer that question until you speak to me nicely, which we see humans do, right? Where they just kind of shut down and they're like, well, no. And right now, a lot of the interactions we have with AI are about getting trying to learn something or get Alexa uh, or Google Home or Siri or whichever AI you're talking to to actually do things for you. And if we don't start to build in that politeness factor, I think it's going to cause problems.
0: Well, one big difference between talking with uh, Siri or Alexa and a human is I could pick up Siri or Alexa and throw them across the room if I don't like how they respond to me. And, Fair I, enough. and I've wanted to do that a couple of times and actually with humans too. <laughs> that's a different story. But actually another thing that, uh, that Rachel brings up in the article that I thought was really interesting was that uh, the, uh, her niece on occasion has had trouble communicating with Alexa because Alexa doesn't understand what she's asking. And, um, and so what, the, the the four-year-old does, which makes a lot of sense, is usually she speaks louder and slower to try to convince uh, Alexa of what it is that she wants. And if it doesn't work, she gets frustrated. And so uh, what th- what these MIT researchers uh, suggest, and I think makes a ton of sense and, and sort of brings us back to customer experience generally, is that Alexa and others uh, could be designed to tell you why they don't understand something uh, rather than just that they don't understand so that you can better determine how to get what you want. And I think that makes a ton of sense because we don't, even when you're talking to a computer on the telephone and you're you know, sitting there yelling representative, representative, and it doesn't understand you, it's It's incredibly frustrating, not just because it doesn't understand you, but because you don't know why it doesn't understand you. So I thought that was a pretty good insight.
1: I agree. I think there's two fun things that we can extrapolate out of that. Number one, one could posit that this is actually going to lead to children being able to enunciate and have a broader vocabulary at a younger age. Uh, There's some fantastic research about how uh, it the amount of words that you speak and the amount you're exposed to language, how that contributes to intelligence and development. And I actually think there's an opportunity here with AI, uh, as the cost comes down and it becomes more available to everyone, children will be able to interact with the AI. And it's kind of like being able to talk to another adult in the house, even though uh, there may not be an adult in the house. So I, I think that's interesting. Additionally, I agree with that idea of, you know, the frustration, aspect, because I have witnessed this. My youngest son is not quite yet two. And he does, we taught him some sign language when uh, he was a baby. And what he'll do is he'll try to sign with Alexa, like he'll get over close and try to do sign language of things he wants. And he gets a little irritated that she doesn't understand. And he can't say Alexa, but he will get up close to the speaker and kind of squawk at her. Ah! You know, and you can tell he's trying to say the A of Alexa, uh, because this is the only time he does that particular sound. And it's kind of funny to watch him working through it. Now, he doesn't get super frustrated. uh, But my thought is, it may be the case that one of his first words is going to be Alexa, because his older brother likes getting Alexa to play music, and the boys like to have their dance parties. So I could see the younger brother learning how to say Alexa so that he can more easily play music of his desire.
0: And you have now achieved Jeff Bezos' dream where your kid's first word is going to be Alexa. This is true. Now, one other thing they pointed out for older kids was this question about them possibly getting bossy or bratty just because they get into this habit of ordering Alexa around. And they talked with a developmental psychologist uh, who said this is probably not something to worry about but uh, she does wonder whether having these digital butlers will reduce kids ability to do things for themselves and i think that is a definite possibility because i already see with my kids that um you know laziness is something that has to be combated quite often <laughs> with older kids you know who are, are prone to shouting you know from three rooms away you know can you get me a glass of water and it's like uh, no <laughs> come and get yourself a glass of water and I know that's different you know than having a two-year-old and a four-year-old where you have to actually get them the glass of water but at some point you get to the point where they're big enough to do it themselves and I do think that that to me feels like something to at least watch out for which is what the psychologist says as well that it's not something we would- Really have to worry about, but it's something that we should pay attention to uh, and especially to see that if it, if it extends to other communications besides uh, from the AI.
1: Sure. And with a lot of kids being home after school before mom and dad get home, I could see an environment where kids are at home and they're asking Alexa to do their homework. They're just reading the questions and Alexa's responding and they're writing down the answers. They're not even reading the assignment. So I do think there's some things like most technologies, uh, parents and adults need to pay attention to how the technology is creeping in and influencing their life. But I don't think AI is going anywhere. I think it's here to stay and we better start to get used to how to incorporate these things. Uh, as a final aside, I'll say we uh, in our house definitely teach the please and thank yous, not only because we think it's appropriate for interacting with another person but when the robots take over the world we want to make sure that we were the ones that were nice to the robots uh so that when we become their slaves we're not they remember that we were the ones that said please and thank you
0: I love it. The Coleman family will definitely be in good hands. So we want to know from you, do you think digital assistants like Alexa or Siri are good for kids? So please go to experience this show.com, go to the bottom of the page and click on the speak pipe widget, which will allow you to leave us a brief message that we may play in a future episode. And in particular, in one of our segments called agree to disagree. So we'd like to hear from some of you who think, think that digital assistants like alexa and siri are good for kids and we'd also love to hear from some of you who think that they are not good for kids and we will play your responses in a future episode
1: listen in while we try to stump and surprise each other with a fantastic statistic from the worlds of customer experience and customer service it's time to check out this
0: number Okay, Joey, the number this week is 86%. What do you think that refers to?
1: I'm going to go with the likelihood that the person in front of you will recline their seat back into your lap while you're flying.
0: Oh, that number for me is usually higher because I always seem to be that unlucky person behind that person. <laughs> but actually it is eighty-six percent of customers will pay more for a great customer experience. And this comes from our friends at Oracle CX Cloud. Thanks for sponsoring our show. Woo-hoo. And their ebook, Digital Transformation, Three Areas of Customer Experience to Invest in Right Now. I
1: totally agree with this statistic, Dan, and I see it all the time in the marketplace. If you deliver a fantastic customer experience – People are willing to pay more because they know it's going to be consistent. They know they're going to get a quality experience and they're happy to continue to give you business, even if you might charge a little bit more than the person down the street. And the fact of the matter is you want the customers that are willing to pay for a great experience instead of reducing your prices and reducing your prices and chasing the least common denominator customer. So I think it's a great statistic and keep your great service and you'll have folks that are willing to pay more.
0: Not only that, you'll actually make more money. Touche. For more great customer experience tips, go to Oracle.com slash connected CX. You can download the ebook that we mentioned immediately. And if you give them your email, you can also pick up two additional CX reports. Thank you again to Oracle for sponsoring the experience this show.
1: Wow. Thanks for joining us for another episode of
0: Experience This. We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd
1: love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This
0: show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.